Welcome to Mosaics, a podcast featuring the vibrant and diverse stories of refugee resettlement in Idaho. I'm your host, Holly Beach, with the Idaho Office for Refugees. Today, I'm excited to be with Halima Hamoud, a dear person who I've gotten to meet through this role. Um, Halima is a Boise State graduate who last year moved to Minnesota to pursue a graduate degree in development practices. Halima was born to Somali parents in a refugee camp in Kenya. She and her family resettled in Boise in 2009 when she was in fourth grade. Halima was among just 62 students in the country last year selected as Truman Scholars, and she is now studying at the University of Minnesota's Humphrey School of Public Affairs. So welcome, Halima. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here and share space with you. It's really fun to have you back in Boise. Besides being in Minnesota the past year, these past three months, you've been able to live in Kenya. Um, so tell me a little bit about what you were doing there and where you were living. Yes. So my graduate program, uh, an aspect of my program is going for international experience. And so acting as a development practitioner, consultant, sort of a student work. So we got to choose the countries that we wanted to go that were given to us by the school. And so I voted for Kenya first because my family's there. And then I did Ghana. And then I did a country in, uh, I think, uh, in Latin America. And so I got Kenya. Mm. And uh, that was my first choice. And I... In May, I headed up to a rural, remote island in Kenya called Mofangano Island. And uh, for past two months in the summer, June and July, I worked with a nonprofit organization there working um, in a radio, uh, helping their programming and helping them better connect with their communities um, after covid uh, a lot of people were, you know, not part of the audience anymore. A lot of people were not getting information. And so they wanted to revamp their marketing, their community engagement styles and methods. And so I got to be part of that team and help them understand how they can better connect with the people uh, after COVID. <laughs> mm. And so that was a successful project. And I really enjoyed my time there. I loved, you know, being near Lake Victoria. Mm-hmm. I loved the community. They were super welcoming and loving. Um, I had a host family there that welcomed me to the community. And uh, it was really beautiful. Um, and before we had this conversation, you said you want to talk more about the stars. <laughs> and so I love the stars in Africa and I love the stars in Mofangana Island. I feel that they're so close to my head, like above me that I can grab it. And that's something about, about, about that makes me so excited and makes me so whole because as a child, I used to sleep under the stars back when I was in the refugee camp. And so that was the last thing that I would see before I fall asleep. And to be back in that sort of situation again where I get to see the stars at its most beautiful, full picture. Um, it was really beautiful and definitely something that I still number from that island. But yeah, it was a really great experience. Did anything else about living in Kenya again stir up emotions for you or maybe some childhood nostalgia definitely um definitely i mean i the place that i lived at 
definitely sort of resembled where I was born in, in that camp and the situations that we were in. Um, so, you know, having a floor, toilet, going back to how to use that, cooking every day. Uh, definitely cooking every day and cooking fresh meals. I Definitely something I will miss about that island. Fresh meals, you go out, get whatever you need for that day and you cook it and no fridging the items because the family has already eaten that part, you know? So there's no need to fridge um, and things from the eating food from the gardens they the families garden a lot um because they have such a big lens and so that definitely that aspect of that uh you know reminds me of back home and um you know i i didn't have a lot hard time with adjusting to the island compared to my colleagues um and that's something that you know i you know it's it's nice to come back Go to a place that you feel you feel comfortable with the people. You feel comfortable with the situations that they're in. You don't feel that you're an outsider. Well, I was sort of an outsider, but I felt like because I understand how to use some of the you know things that their lifestyle that I wasn't sort of they didn't see me as an outsider. And once I said, "Well, I was born here in Kenya," that was like that mm. definitely removed a lot of barriers and it was like you're back home, you know. And so definitely that kind of community it's interesting you said earlier you were born in kenya but raised in the somali community the somali culture and language Mm -hmm. Um, when you were there this summer did you face any language barriers i you know the island most of the people there speak uh english um even even if it's just broke english it's, it's still english um and for those that i couldn't communicate with we have our beautiful hands <laughs> to communicate with um, to, to the elders. Uh, most of the elders did not speak English. And so, you know, using our hands and using context clues, uh, seeing, you know, obviously what they're talking about using the situations that we're in. But definitely I learned some Kiswahili because mm-hmm. I had to. You know, everybody, when I tell them I'm Kenyan or I'm from Kenya, I was born in Kenya, immediately assume I know Kiswahili. Mm-hmm. And that's so they start talking to me in Kiswahili. So I, I, you know, one of my goals was just to get started, even if it's not being proficient, just to get started. And I definitely did that in the island. Um, and people were really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it shows a lot of respect, I think, when you put the effort in to learn mm-hmm. someone's language. So that's cool. Yeah, definitely. What's the focus of your studies? You're getting your master's degree. What would you like to able to do with this or what's your main focus and driver here i want to be able to improve the you know the lives of refugees uh and former refugees here in the states um and i want to be able to work with an organization that is striving to improve and empower and inspire women um i think just my history my background my community work all been focused in women and so it's only right that i you know work with organization that does that or have an aspect of that uh you know gender work um but you know i'm doing a master's in development practices and i want to be be able to be a development practitioner in the future and uh, i'm doing my 
a minor in program evaluation and so i i just started recently and uh, i started that interest um because i didn't think i would enjoy it that much i took one class and i thought well i definitely have to make this a minor for me because i loved you know being able to talk to clients and being able to see what they where they are where they want to be and where can i be of any help to reach them that place and also where where uh what's the gap that the services that they're providing or the gap of you know what they're doing and what they want to do so i love that and so i'm doing a minor in program evaluation and so i want to be able to do that aspect also in my future mm-hmm. i've learned as that when you were growing up i read that your your mother was a midwife mm-hmm. i believe and your sister worked also in medical in the medical field did did seeing them work and serve others inspire what you're doing today? Definitely. My mom was a midwife at the refugee camp that I was born in. And uh, she worked before I was born and after I was born. And she worked up until we came here to the States. And so she has a great background. Um, and her being able to support the women in my community uh, back there and being able to advocate for them definitely inspired me um and it definitely opened my eyes to things that I could do when I came here and what I started thinking about college um but she's definitely a huge part of my story and what I do and why I do what I do um her story and uh some of the injustice that she faced is definitely um my some some part of my motivation you were in fourth grade when you made the move to Boise. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you? What sticks out in your memory? Um, you know, as the years go on, those few, you know, first years are like blending. You know, the memories mm-hmm. are fading away. And it's so sad to realize that. But, you know, some memories, I, some memories I had them so vividly. Like I remember um you know how the soup that my mom used to cook when i go to cl- classes in the morning how it smelled like um but i don't <laughs> don't remember that anymore um but you know what stands out is um getting being the only person like black person uh in my class in my fourth grade class that was definitely taunting mm-hmm. <laughs> it was scary um but i think uh, like i think after like six months or something, I had Somali, one Somali girl join us. And that I definitely remember my feeling about her coming. I was super excited to have her. And we instantly became besties. Of mm. course we had to. <laughs> um, but I'm glad we, you guys liked each other. You never know. Right. What if you didn't like each other? That would be sad. <laughs> That's true. But we became besties. And, uh, you know, it was such a great year. But from fourth grade up until up until sixth grade i wasn't really focused in learning um in classes i am not intentionally i was so focused on the environment that i was in and the students that were my classmates and the teachers and the cultural differences i was so focused on that that i think i always say that i started learning math up in the sixth grade like addition Mm -hmm. and subtraction like fully understanding what's going on Mm -hmm. and i also learned that Things like transcript exist in the sixth grade because they used to send, I think, in the fourth and fifth, like a transcript. And um, I had no idea what that was. And I didn't understand the grading system. So we always threw it away. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> I didn't know what was going on um, up until sixth grade. And I realized, hey, this is a transcript and this is really important. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are a few memories. But it was, it was, it was confusing, scary, but exciting times back then. It's interesting to hear, like, because you're obviously a very driven academic person, but at that time, you were so focused on, like, kind of surviving your new cultural environment, social environment, that your brain really didn't have the energy to do both. No. I I tried um, kindergarten sort of level classes when I was at the camp, um, but I didn't continue. I think I went there for a couple of months. But that was the only education background that I had. Um, so I, I don't think I even knew fully my ABCs when, when I came here. Um, so, you know, the things that were being taught to me, like I didn't understand what I was learning or what I was learning. I just knew that, oh, sound out what the teacher is saying and, you know, circle what this is or whatever. But um, I was really focused on getting to learn my, my environment. And as I said, my environment was a little scary. So, of course, I was so focused on that and understanding what's happening. And <laughs> Why was it scary? Um, because I, like, in the first few months, I was by myself, basically. I was the only black student in that classroom. And uh, I felt like I didn't understand the play games that were being played at recess or the class, you know. it was. I felt so lonely there. Mm. Um and there wasn't somebody like me or somebody that was willing to say, hey, you know, let me help you. Let's get, you know, you situated here or sort of a be mentor. Um, so I felt, yeah, it was, it was weird. It was, a, it was a, yeah, definitely changing times. <laughs> Did you have any English under your belt before coming to the U.S.? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> so I did not, no, I couldn't communicate then as well. So that definitely added to the to the lack of not getting a full understanding of the situation up until sixth grade. Mm -hmm. When did things start to change for you where you start to be free, to be more of who you are, to wear your hijab, to feel proud of who you are? What helped shift that? That was the end of sixth grade. That was the end of sixth grade, right before I went to junior high. Is it called junior high? Or yeah, or middle school. Middle school. I never know who I uses forgot. what. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. Uh, but junior high, um, it was right before I went there, before the summer. Um, and what changed for me is that there was more students in my school that looked like me, um, that were coming from the same background, and I didn't feel so lonely anymore. And I didn't feel the need to fit in anymore. It was, I needed to fit in so that I could create friends and basically survive and not feel so miserable at school. And so once I had these people that understood me, these students that understood me, and maybe some of them understood my language, some of them were just, we came from Africa. Once I had those people around me, I don't feel the need to change myself anymore. I didn't need, feel the need to like take out my hijab so that people can c feel comfortable seeing my hair or wearing jeans, you know. I didn't feel the need to do that anymore. And I, after that, it was such a, it was a moving, moving and powerful time moment for me because, you know, at school, before that, at school, 
you know, taking my hijab off and wearing jeans, that's a different personality and that's a different halima. And I'm coming home and I'm wearing my hijab and I'm, you know, in my culture, in my religion, that's a different halima. And so I felt like I'm maintaining two different people at mm. the same time and it was exhausting. Mm. So I'm glad, you know, I had people that were, you know, very supportive and for my own community and that spoke my language. And I'm glad that I had that representation at that time mm. because once I hit middle, uh, junior high, I was fully like I'm fully comfortable with myself and I don't care what anybody thinks about my hijab. And uh, that that was that had to happen before I went to middle school, uh, junior high because junior high was just another craziness in yeah. itself. So yeah. I'm glad that I had that moment before to to realize like I, I need to be who I need to be and mm. I don't need to change for anybody. Um, and it's OK not to have a lot of people liking you mm. <laughs> um and it's i just have to be comfortable with that aspect and uh, some children will be children and students will be students and you know they might bully you um but you know as long as i talk to the right people i just i the option cannot be to change myself mm. based on what they're doing to me i just have to ask for help from other people but i can't like physically change myself mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah did it just come in the form of rude comments or was it? Rude comments, um, isolation, mm. not hanging out. Um, I remember even in junior high, it was ripping papers and putting it in my hoodie. Oh. <laughs> um, so it, was, it came in forms of that. Um, but immediately, instantly in junior high, I felt like I found my uh, community in eighth grade because mm -hmm. I enrolled in a program called AVID. And that's where I found my people. Mm. <laughs> they were super supportive and super uh, supportive and loving almost, you know. And it was so great to have that community in the eighth grade. There were students from, you know, you know, good background. I'm, I want to say good background, but they, you know, were from, you know, good GPAs, you know, uh, uh, knows the English language, proficient at it born in the USA so they have that privileges and there were students like me who didn't have a lot of privileges and so we were all in that program and I felt like that was my community oh, that's great yeah once you felt like you weren't just fighting to belong once you felt a little more secure in yourself did you notice your interests and in other things start to awaken and what did you start to enjoy doing yeah I mean once I stop thinking about what others thinking about me or stop thinking about what do I need to change for others to be comfortable with me and to like me. I mean, I found academia. I found school. I loved school. It made me feel great. It motivated me. Um, my family motivated me to continue school no matter what. Um, and, uh, you know, I found a little passions like, you know, reading, I mean, that was hard for me up until the seventh grade. And so to read and to understand and to enjoy that that last part, to actually enjoy what I'm reading, that was that was amazing. And I'm glad I had that, you know, built that strength and now I can use it as a hobby. And writing, 
I mean, that might come out, came out from years of just isolation, but I loved writing once I started, you know, learning that. I loved writing. Um, and I would write these essays and these stories, these crazy stories. Um, but, you know, I think at one point I wanted to be like a writer, like a, an author. Mm-hmm. Because I was reading so many fantasy books. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I had little hobbies that I was so focused at. And, and because I wasn't thinking about these other things, I really got to enjoy school. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about your educational path through school. So mm-hmm. you eventually went to which high school did you go to? Yeah, I, I went to Bora. Bora High School? Yeah, I went to Bora. I did a lot of, lot of things there. I was so busy there. <laughs> yeah, what were you actively involved in at Bora? Um, I was involved in this health program, um, like health leadership program. I was involved in a mayor, like youth mayor form. Uh, I think it was just a temporary short term, six month, I think a semester. But I was involved in there. I was involved in AVID, continued my AVID program. And uh, I really got to got to thrive in there um i was taking uh ap classes or 101s like the ones that you go take a college credit Mm -hmm. basically um i did that and then once we started thinking about college i got to really dig down on what i actually want and start thinking about my future there i mean i feel like i always was thinking about my future Mm. um always thinking about okay what do i need I want to go this way. I want to go this place. What do I need to make it happen now so that I can qualify or I can be there, basically? But, you know, even though high school was great, I think that's when it starts. Actually, it started in the junior high when I was sort of put into classes that made me doubt my ability to, well, be a student and to do the the assignments or the things that other classmates are doing uh doubts as oh i don't understand this and because i don't understand this i might not be fit for this place or this class Mm. oh my classmates know what the boston what's it called boston tea something boston tea party Uh, my classmate know the boston tea party and i don't know that so i'm basically i don't know history class i'm it made me so insecure Mm. I feel like there was like these conversations, these things that my classmate knew um, that I didn't. And I felt like because of that, I basically was not at their level. Mm. And that gave me, (laughs) that put my confidence level down. Um, Of course, you know, it's not logical to do that. But I did that, you know, and that hurted me a lot. Um, And... It put my confidence down and uh, basically I, though it did put my confidence down, I did get a strange motivation from that. Basically, I need to be at their level. I need to understand what they're talking about. Um, So that sort of, I don't know what you call that, but motivation Mm -hmm. continued up in university. Um, And I think it it stopped, um, I think like in junior junior year of my university journey 
that I got to say, I can't do this anymore. I cannot yeah. compete yeah. with people that do not come from the same background as I, do not have the same background as I, and or we don't have the same stories. We don't, um, yeah, basically. And I st start thinking that as my strength rather than something that puts me down, rather than something that makes me unqualified to compete with them. It's a strength to have a different story and different path, and it's interesting. Mm -hmm. So I think it's super uninteresting when everybody's the same, mm -hmm. or everybody you know has the same story. So it's interesting that I have a different story, I have a different path, I have a different uh, strength and weaknesses, and so I don't need to do that anymore. Um, so I think that's that's also a powerful moment for me that I got to experience for myself. Wow. So you have these realizations at such a young time of your life that takes a lot of people years to come to. So I'm really glad that you were able to recognize how exhausted you were yeah. by what was happening and, and take a step back. That's really beautiful. I want to hear about your reflections. So you went to college here in Idaho, and now for your graduate program, you're in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of reflect on what the difference has been like for you between the two communities? Yeah, I mean, there were different circumstances at Boise State and the classes that I was taking and the program that I was in. Although, you know, I was really passionate about the major that I was doing. Um, I did felt, again, like I felt in high school, that I didn't know some of the conversations that was going on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it made me feel, oh, am I unqualified to be here? And the whole, like, political science thing, like people expect somebody who's like really passionate about government and like really into elections and like really like digging newspaper, like reading the next, you know, government scandal and that stuff. That's what they imagine. And I'm not that. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that. Mm -hmm. And so I had to be comfortable with knowing like I like political science, but the aspect that I like is policy and I really care about the uh, refugee and immigration population. Mm -hmm. That's my thing. Mm -hmm. If it's not that, it's cool, but I don't need to put myself down because I don't know that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so once I figured that out for myself, <laughs> I felt really good about the program. I mean, I think the sec like the first week, I was like, dang, I don't belong here. <laughs> really? I don't belong here because it's like, the topics that are being discussed, the way that people are talking, even the way that people are talking, which is, you know, something, you know, the terms that they're using. It's, you're, right now you're digging, um, not digging, but you're seeing my inner thoughts. And so I'm going to be vulnerable right now. Mm -hmm. But um, people, they use like these uh, eloquent, long, big words and like that makes them so fancy <laughs> and i'm like is it because i'm using such a small words to convey the same message does that like i don't know does that make me feel it, it made me feel weird mm. but i thought are we not the same level is are we don't have the you know like does that make them more smart than i because mm. i'm trying to use these small words i'm not even trying but that's all i have <laughs> I don't know these big words, right? And sometimes I have to look it up what they're saying. I have to look up certain words because I don't understand. Which I think sometimes, if note for everybody here, if you can convey something in such small or, 
you know, clear or straight words do that instead of trying to find these big fancy words. Well, they had to make sure that you knew that they're smart. (laughs) (laughs) And that definitely made me feel weird because I'm like, oh, am I not smart because I don't know this? Um, but you know that that was my experience and that's something that I overcame Uh, but that's also the difference in my master program right now I never feel that way and I I mean that is because of a lot of personal work that I've done the personal development that I've done but that's also because of the environment that I'm in Um, there's people that have different backgrounds and different experiences Um, people from Bangladesh, my cohort, like some are from Bangladesh, some are from Wisconsin, um, some are from Latin America. I, I don't feel the need to do that. I don't, that, that never comes in mind. There's not ever a moment where I thought, are these people smarter than me? Or or, uh, do these people qualify more than me? There's never a moment that I had that. And because it's really because of that diversity and also because of the inner work that mm-hmm. I've done. But um, it's because because of the space that I'm in, such a spor- uh, supportive and diverse thoughts and ways of knowing, it doesn't trigger my habits to think, oh, they're smarter than me or they have more experience than me, so I'm not qualified or I'm not in a position to do what they're doing yeah it sounds like maybe before you felt in this position like you were singled out and so or like if you said you came to the classroom and you're the only black person at the time so Mm -hmm. maybe you felt this pressure to like prove something because you were singled out but now that you're just kind of in a more diverse pool you don't feel singled out is that kind of what's happening maybe exactly yeah i mean gosh i number in well from my first year till my last year of university, I did so much, like literally so much, mm-hmm. <laughs> taking a four class, like full class loads plus other activities. And I did that because I felt like, oh, I need to compete with what my classmates are doing because they're involved in this and this and this and I need to do that. And also because I want to go to grad school. I'm looking at the different scholarships like the Truman I was looking at and I need I want to be a good candidate and in order to do that I I have to have many experiences so I involved in many things I was involved in many projects I did you know good grades in my classes but I did so much that I wish I didn't do I wish I foc- I focused on my classes or do one or two things that really give it I give my 100% and I give my all and my all attention. I felt like I was so uh, spread out yeah, that I couldn't ha- do 100% on everything that I did. Um, and so that was, that was a learning moment for me. Now that you're in your master's program, do you feel like you found that space to settle in and find your focus and have the room to, to give to that? Or do you feel like it's still pretty crazy? It's not crazy. And I don't want it to be crazy Mm -hmm. because we are too old (laughs) to be doing crazy things right now. (laughs) You need to shut up because you are so young. (laughs) Whatever. I'm going to let that one go. Uh, (laughs) But um, I'm not doing a lot. And I'm happy with that because I'm giving my 100% 
focus on that certain thing. I'm giving my 100% on my classes. I'm giving 100% on my work that I do. And I'm giving 100% on my side project. I will not say side project. That's my organization. (laughs) I want to hear about, yes, your podcast that's coming up, your organization. Yes. Voices Unveiled. Voices Unveiled. I love that name. Thank you. I'm so proud of you for thinking of that. I thought about the mosaics name for so long. (laughs) I'm like, dang, that's a great name. Tell us about what your podcast will be. Yes. So my podcast, um, Voices Unveiled, um, will come out in International Women's Day, March 8th, and it will give a voice to faces to the issue of brain waste and brain drain in the United States. And uh, it would be a 10 episode covering 10 stories of women uh, who have, you know, overcome the barriers and the obstacles of, you know, getting their credentials, getting their schoolings to become, uh, to uh, continue their profession that they have done back home, or even more than that they have dreamed of, of back home. And so my hopes is that it would be an opportunity to highlight these women, to celebrate these women and their stories. Uh, also to receive the privilege of hearing their stories, because um, that's a privilege itself. And then a place to advocate for policies, uh, for policies to be removed and for processes to be streamlined. I know the credentialing services or credentialing process is a lengthy and one that is, you know, only people that are in a certain program can have access to fully understanding what's happening. And if you're not in those programs, you feel left out. Mm -hmm. And so I hope it's a place that we can advocate for uh, just and equitable uh, policies and solutions and then a place to really, truly celebrate these women. Wow. When you have those episodes, be sure to send me the link so I can (laughs) share it with our Idaho Refugees uh, Office community. Absolutely. I... I created, I, the Voices Unveiled is uh, produced or happening because of a grant that I received from Women's Foundation Minnesota. And so I'm, the stories will be focusing on women that are based in Minnesota. But this is a global issue and definitely a national issue. So at, uh, at some point, I would like to hear voices in Idaho and other mm. places parts of our country and my organization circle of excellence um came from my happened and started because of of the stories that i've heard um stories like my mother who you know come from their countries uh come from her country with great skills great knowledge um and sponsorship people who recommended her and then come here and then face with the reality that what they have been doing to provide for their family cannot happen anymore. Mm-hmm. They cannot practice their profession anymore. And so they're faced with the barriers like the English language or the test that you're taking is $300. And so you have to choose supporting your family for that month or <laughs> saving up for mm-hmm. that $300. Or you're taking a test or we don't recognize your university, so you have to take a couple of college classes. You have to enroll in university. And so they're faced with that challenges. And though, you know, some people do receive the programs that I was talking about, do receive the help from those programs. They go through that programs where they can get re, re uh, they can receive their credentialing. Some of them are not very lucky. And so they are 
they're mo- um, dismotivated by the process mm-hmm. and uh, they end up in a jobs that are low below their skills and yeah. below their experiences and just uh, not even the programs some people that are going to the programs just the way our economy is right now it's if somebody comes it's not it's more likely that they go below their below their skills um, so it's it's a ha- story that happens a lot mm-hmm. and a story that I heard a lot personally and my mother I remember when I was um, training to be a janitor for a summer job I got to meet these uh, two lovely Ukrainian women and they told me about their story and how one of them was a lawyer and the other one was a I think a middle school teacher or I think it's elementary school teacher and how they came from that to now they are working in schools and doing janitorial which is a very respectable job but they could be doing more than that mm-hmm. and they could be truly happy with where they are in life mm-hmm. um, and get to we get to see their you know blossom thrive in our community get to do more than they they dreamed about or more than we assumed of them mm-hmm. um, so I think when people just see a janitor they just see a janitor and because I got to hear these stories I see more than a janitor with a broken English I see somebody's story and how they were this person and now they're this person and how they wish to be where they can you know where what they used to do and how they used to uh you know work in their professions and the level and the rank that they were at mm-hmm. and so i i got to see you know sort of lose them losing hope in the process and saying well i don't know i don't know if i'll ever go back to that so this is now I'm doing this to provide my family for my family. And that that was heartbreaking to hear. Um and you hear so many stories just like that. And so I I really hope that I'm hoping that this podcast will give shed light put put basically put a face on the issue. Um because the issue of brain waste or brain drain <laughs> is usually understood uh, not usually but some people it's commonly understood or um yeah understood through like statistics and numbers and like what our country has gained what would it gain if we actually uh, have positions available or if we get rid of these barriers and people were able to practice their careers and their professions what we would gain and because of this because we're not doing the right things what we're losing so people understand it through that but i truly believe in the power of storytelling and i believe that after hearing these stories that people would have a deeper connection with this issue and be more motivated to do something about it mm-hmm. um and to change the ways that we have been functioning for a long time and so i i believe in that and and i because i received the beli- uh, privilege of hearing these women's stories um and now i have a different perspective of them i want everybody to have that privilege um and and hear their stories and so that's what circle of excellence is and that's what my uh, voices unveiled is all about wow that's really amazing halima i'm Thank you. really proud of the work that you're doing and looking forward to hearing those stories and sharing those Thank you for bringing light to this issue. We see this a lot in Idaho too. So I really appreciate you, your passion for that. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know if I explained what brain drain is. 
No, I think you did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, okay, it makes great. total sense. Great. When you think about, I know there's the brain drain that people see of like people leaving a country, right? Mm-hmm. Or a place or a state yeah. with their skills, that kind of brain drain. There's also, yeah, what you're talking about where there's our skills that and potential that's not being utilized. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm. Well, I've really enjoyed catching up with you. Anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners? I've been very privileged with the scholarships that I've received and the opportunities that I have received. One, a prayer that my mom makes for me is basically, which in Somali, uh, in English, loosely translates to, I pray that everybody you meet becomes your father and mom. And so that's just insinuating that I hope every everybody becomes a family for you. And that's what everybody was. Literally everybody I meet in whatever form basically ask me, how can I help you get where you want to be or do the things that you want to do? And I've been super grateful because I've received so many opportunities to now attend graduate school. And that's not something that you often say mm. <laughs> um, on a scholarship too. And so... I've been very privileged and, uh, you know, I've everybody has become my community. And so I hope that uh, for Ida, even though it's my hometown, I'm from here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like people, just because I'm gone, people think, oh, you don't care about Boise anymore. You don't care about us anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> but um, I hope that uh, more programs, I we've been doing great about providing scholarships and providing opportunities for refugee students. But I hope we continue to do that um, because there will be more stories and successful stories of, you know, I'm at a very great job and I'm able to support my family or I'm at a graduate school, I'm doing a PhD, we would be able to hear wonderful stories. And I hope that we can provide, you know, the right resources so that more refugee students can go uh, to colleges and up to graduate school. But yeah, that's what I wanted to say. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Halima. Yes. Thank you. I, I really love op- this opportunity to talk about my organization, but also to tell my story. But yeah, if anybody is interested in connecting about my project, um, please feel free to do so. I think Holly will put the yeah. link stuff on the episode description, but I would welcome any uh opportunity to talk about what i'm doing thank you so much yeah i'd love to connect you with anyone who wants to learn more i will link to your information on our podcast episode and if anyone wants to reach me too you can do so at mosaics at idahorefugee.org thank Thank you you so much thank you for joining the conversation for more information on how to be involved with refugee resettlement please visit idahorefugees.org Mosaics is produced by the Idaho Office for Refugees with grant support from the M.J. Murdoch Charitable Trust. Music by the Afrosonics. Production in partnership with SB Studios.